Father, we thank you tonight as we come before your word. We thank you that your word will minister to your people tonight. We give you praise for the word that we will hear tonight. We trust that, O oh Lord, your word will minister to us, will lead us into all truth. We thank you that as we are studying the book of Romans, especially on chapter 8, may more light be thrown on it, may understanding be thrown on it, and most importantly, may we become doers of the word we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 8. We are picking up from where we left off last two weeks. Um, last two weeks, we dealt with 17 verses of chapter 8. And like I said, we stressed on the role of the Holy Spirit and aiding believers to live a spiritual life. So let us look at the following verses for tonight's study. Verse 18 to verse 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Amen. So, before you understand the seven verses I just read, you have to look at verse 17. And last two weeks, that was what we signed off with. And when we read verse 17, it said that we are joint heirs with Christ. And then it goes on to say that if indeed we suffer with him, that we should be glorified with him. Now, in the next seven verses, it talks about what it means to be glorified. And it started off by saying that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, there is glory that will be revealed in us that is not yet. It will happen in the fullness of the time at the end of this age. But the Bible lets us know that our transformation, the glory, that is our destiny. What we will undergo at the end of this age it can never ever be compared to the sufferings of this present time. So, uh, when, you, when, you, when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, it is not the end of all sufferings. You will still suffer for godliness sake. The Bible says in 1 Peter that when we believers fall into hard times, when we fall into affliction, we should not think it as though something strange happens to us. But what will help us to be able to push on in our suffering because of our Christian beliefs and because of living a godly life is we can compare it to the glory that will be revealed at the end of this age. You see, when, when you size up all your sufferings with the end goal you'll be able to go through. And we are joint heirs with Christ, not only because we will share in his glory, we are joint heirs with Christ because we will also suffer with him. And before we go to 
what is the meaning of that word, the glory that will be revealed in us. Let us follow Paul's train of thought here. He starts off by saying that the creation is eagerly waiting for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. You know, when I was reading this, I was really thinking about transformers. That's the only thing I could think of. You know, it's um, no, things that are able to transform, you know, that movie or that cartoon and transform into something. The, the, the Bible says that the whole creation, the earth, is waiting for our transformation as sons of God. That means I don't know you yet. I just know your earthly shell. But one day when the end of this age comes, you will carry a different body. I will carry a different body. Because the Bible lets us know that this corruptible flesh will drop. This is corruptible. The Bible calls this flesh mortal. The Bible says that the corruptible flesh will drop and we will have incorruptibility. This mortal flesh will drop and we will have immortality. That is the real me. That is the real you. We are yet to know that. So the Bible lets us know that the creation, the earth, the world that is created is in eager anticipation of the manifestation of us one day. And what is the glory? The glory is in the verses we'll read later. But why? Why is the earth awaiting our manifestation? Because the earth was subjected to sin, as we just read. The Bible says that the creation was subjected into futility or it was subjected to frustration. Another word for futility is frustration. And how did that happen? Do you remember we did Romans chapter 5? The Bible says that through one man, sin entered into the earth. And with the accompanying effects of sin was the end result of death. So ever since Adam sinned, the whole world has been subjected to frustration. It has been subjected to futility. And the earth is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because when you read the scripture carefully, it is not only we who will experience redemption. The creation of this earth will also experience redemption. So we have all been waiting for the manifestation. Christians, that is our hope. The creation too is also awaiting the manifestation. But I like something that says here, it was by God's will that the world will be subjected to hope. That means God permitted it to happen. And why did God permit it to happen? Because man has a will. God honors will. God honors decisions. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't force anybody to do anything. So God looked at man's sinning and he permitted it to happen. Why? Because man has a will. And he will never override your will, your decision, or your conscience. That is the difference between the Holy Spirit and the devil. The devil will ride your will, will superimpose upon your will. That's the devil. But the Holy Spirit will do none of that. The Holy Spirit will respect your will. And the Holy Spirit will cooperate with your will. So, when the Bible lets us know that this word was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it into hope. What it's trying to tell us is that God had to permit Adam to sin because he respected Adam's will. But what you also have to see here is love. Because when Adam sinned, God had already planned the hope of our glory, the hope of Christian living. He had already planned this. He had preordained. That is what is called the, the preordination of God. He had predestined that even though if Adam should sin, there will be reconciliation at the end of the road for man. So this lets us show 
know how much God loves us. He loves us so much that he doesn't interfere with our will. He loves us so much that he preordained the salvation of man. And now the creation is subjected into hope, waiting for the redemption. Not just the redemption of the sons of God, but also the redemption of creation. Now, the hope which is creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption is what has caused the world to enter into what is called labor punks or birth punks. The Bible lets us know that the world is, has been in labor punks or birth punks till today. That's why many things are happening. You see, when, when a woman is subjected to birth punks, it's very excruciating. It's an uncomfortable time. It's a very restless time until the baby arrives. Look at the F today. The F has been in labor punks since Acts chapter 2. Because the Bible says that in the last days, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. And when was that fulfilled? It was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So since Acts chapter 2 till today, August 4th, 2021, the world has been in labor punks. That's why there are rumors of wars, conflicts, earthquakes, pandemics. Everything is happening. Why? It is happening so that just as a woman gives birth, the earth is also getting ready to give birth. It's coming to the nearing of its end. And it will give way for a new age. And when this end of the age of this earth occurs, we who are believers who have become born again, we will qualify to experience what is called glory. And the Bible says this glory is in us and it will be revealed. And not just that, the earth will also experience deliverance. The earth will be delivered from the bondage of corruption because, mind you, when Adam sinned, it affected the earth. The earth has been corrupted. The earth is full of sin. But when God comes back at the end of the age, not only will he redeem Christians, those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, he will also redeem the earth. That's why the Bible lets us know that there will be a new earth and there will be a new heaven because it would have undergone redemption. So thank God for that. So this scripture that I just read is pointing to us our destiny. And our destiny is that we will be glorified. We who have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, and then the earth, which has become polluted and corrupted by sin because of one man's action. Do you understand? Now, when we read verse 23, it now points us out to our glorification. It says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we will receive the redemption of the body. So this is our glory. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it explains that very well. And I just quoted it. The Bible says that death will be defeated. That is where the last enemy of man called death will totally be defeated. That is where we will receive glorified bodies. That is why our destiny is called glorification. So verse 23 lets us know that. So it's not everybody that will experience this glorification. It's not everybody that will experience this redemption of the body. It is only those who have received the first fruits of the Spirit. They qualify to experience the redemption of the body, which is called glorification. Are you understanding me? So not everybody. This is for only those who have experience 
the first fruits. And that's why when you are a Christian, have a passion to preach and witness to people so that they will give their lives to Jesus Christ. Because we wish that the whole world, everybody, human beings, everybody, no. It's only those who have the first fruits of the Spirit that will be redeemed. And that will qualify to experience what is called the redemption of the body. Now, let me make a disclaimer here. The word first fruits, it appears eight times in the New Testament. In fact, in our study of Romans, the, the, this particular book, we will come across this word two other times. We will see it in Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 16. And it's a concept from the Old Testament. Fruits, first fruits in the New Testament does not necessarily mean offering. Do you, do you understand? So, first fruit is a shadow of what we are experiencing in the New Testament. Now, how did the concept of first fruit come about? Exodus chapter 23. God told Moses to institute three feasts for the Jews. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread means you had to eat bread without yeast. You see, bread without yeast is unleavened. You have to eat it for seven days. There was a particular reason for that. Then there is the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Harvest means you have to bring all the first fruits of your crops and dedicate it to the Lord. So that, that was where that concept first fruits came from. And then there is another fruit called the, 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 the Feast of Indoor Gathering. That is, you will have to bring in um, the, the harvest of your fruits at the end of the year. So there, there were three kinds of feasts. So the word first fruit there is a shadow of what was going to happen in the New Testament. So first fruits was a form of offering that you gave to the Lord. And it, it, it means that it, it's, it symbolizes, you know, the first, the first of everything in the Jew symbolizes wholeness. It was just like the tithe. You see, when you give a tenth of your money, you have sanctified the whole 90. First fruits was similar to that. So when you give the first fruits, you are dedicating everything to the Lord. That, that was the concept. You are dedicating everything to the Lord for the Lord to bless your harvest. So it's from that concept that the word first fruit offering came about. But when you read through the New Testament, of the eight times the word first fruits appear in the Bible, it didn't refer to an offering. I think this is very important for everybody to know. So, New Testament believers, we don't practice first fruit offering. But hey, I have nothing wrong with if you want to give a first fruit offering. God bless you. But as a pastor, I am not mandated by God to tell the New Testament church that has been washed by the blood of Jesus to practice first fruit offering. Do you, do you understand? So sometimes we sometimes in, in our contemporary days today, they will say, maybe give the first month of your offering. The first month of your offering of the year. Some call it first fruits. Yes, in the Old Testament, that, that would have been applicable. But under the New Testament, everywhere we see the word first fruits, it never once referred to an offering. So here, when the Bible talks about first fruits here, what does it refer to? The word first fruits here refers to the Holy Spirit. So we who have received the first fruits of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And why is he the first fruits? He is the first of a blessing that we receive. You see, when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, the first blessing we receive, that is the first fruit was the Holy Spirit. And what was the role of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1. He has come to be the guarantee 
or the deposit until the redemption of the purchase possession. So, first fruits. So, we're receiving the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee that we are participants, potential participants of the redemption of this body one day. So, that's what first fruits actually mean here. So, first fruits here is referring to the Holy Spirit. The etymological word of first fruits and the concept comes from the Old Testament, but the application is not the same in the New Testament. Do, do we understand? So, first fruits is a shadow of what we are experiencing now in the New Testament. Amen. So, now back to our scripture. Paul points to us that this is the reason for our hope. What's the reason? We will be glorified. And those who have the first fruits of the Spirit, they are candidates for glorification. And Paul later on went to talk about hope. This is our hope. This is why we are Christians. Do you know why you are Christian today? The hope of your calling is that one day you will participate in the resurrection. That's also called redemption. That's also called glorification. What? That's our hope. So let's not get that twisted. Our hope as believers is that one day we will participate in the resurrection. So our hope is bigger than financial miracles, financial breakthrough, healing, deliverance, health, and all these things are good things. But that is not the hope of our calling. That is not why we have been made Christians. We have been made Christians so that one day at the end of this age, we will participate in the greatest glorious moment of eternity which is the redemption of our bodies. This is why we are Christians. This is our hope. Because sometimes many Christians come to the Lord and they have a wrong focus. Their hope is to be rich. Their hope is for their marriage to work. Their hope is not to experience sorrow anymore. And there is nothing wrong in having these valid reasons. But the chiefest of all hope, whilst the Lord wants us to come to him, why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for the sins of humanity was that we will have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Eternal life means that one day our bodies, I'm sorry, not one day, one day our bodies will go through the redemption where this corruptible mortal flesh will drop and it will put on the incorruptibility and the immortality of the body God has for us. This is our hope, that we will become part of the resurrection. That is the greatest hope. That is why you and I are Christians. And it's our hope. And Paul said something very strong that we will have to realize in verse 25, that if we hope for we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So what will make us strong in this hope of our calling, this hope of our final destination, is to have perseverance. Is to have perseverance. Persevere in the last days. Persevere in the evil days. Because the devil is fighting with every strategy possible that we will depart the faith. Do you know that the Bible lets us know that in the last days, people are going to depart from the faith? You can't depart from something if you are not in it in the first place. In the last days, people will depart from the faith. So we have to have this hope of our calling that the reason why I'm a Christian is I have a reward that is out of view of this present world. At the end of this age, I am going to experience the redemption of my body, which is glorification. 
I will participate in the resurrection. That should be our hope. It should keep us going. And then we also have to have perseverance. Perseverance. You have to persevere. Today there are many people. The Bible lets us know in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. That's the birth pangs of the earth. That's the birth pangs. Everything that we are going through is the birth pangs. The love of many shall wax good. So please don't be among the number of people whose love for God will wax good. Remember that there is eternity in view. Try and remember that. Try and remember that. It's eternity in view. I'll be honest to you. If I became a Christian and if all my reward was just earthly rewards, I don't think I'll be a Christian. I I think I can do that on this earth without God's help. If all my reward for following Christ was just to be a Christian, for for being, sorry, if all my reward for being a Christian was just to live on this earth, to experience only earthly rewards. I think I don't need Christ for that, if I'll be honest to you. If it's all about driving the nice cars, living in a mansion, having long life, blessed with good health, and we all want those things. But if following Christ, that's all I have to receive, I don't I don't think it's necessary for me to become a Christian. Honestly. Because there are people on this earth who have not received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior who are enjoying all these things. Are you understanding me? So I don't need to be a Christian to enjoy that. I don't need to. I can give you many references. Today I was reading the um, news online and I saw that one of the celebrities has just been confirmed that she's a billionaire. I don't know whether she's a Christian. But if you look at the Forbes rich list of all the billionaires, see now it's said that we have 62 billionaires, so she's the 62nd billionaire. Now of all the billionaires we have, are they Christians? So, I, I mean, to me... Christianity has to offer me something more than financial recompense. It has to offer me something more than long life. Look, there are people who are atheists who are very strong and they are healthy. So Christianity has to offer me more than that. Because if that's all that Christianity has to offer me, then I don't think it's necessary to be a Christian. But thanks be to God that Christianity offers me something more than the world can ever give me. And that is one day my body will undergo redemption. I will be part of the resurrection. That is what Christ came to give. It's called eternal life. John 10, 10. It's called abundant life. The Bible lets us know that my corruptible mortal flesh will drop and it will put on the incorruptibility and the immortality of the spirit. I await that day that I will no longer live on this earth. I will live in the new earth and in the new heaven. I look forward to that day where I will go, where the, the foundation of the city, its builder is not a human being, but its builder and maker is God. I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day, a new era where the Bible says that we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day whereby we will no longer be called virgins betrothed to Christ, but now we will be seen as the bride of Christ. I look forward to that day. The ending of a Christian is far more glorious, far more better than anything than the human mind can compute. And this is the reason why we have to have this as our hope for our profession and confession of the Christian faith. So it's bigger than what human beings can offer. 
is bigger than what the world can offer. It's even bigger than what your mind can even imagine. When it comes to the glorification of the believer, the human mind cannot imagine enough. It's bigger than that. So Paul lets us know that this is the hope of our calling and we have to have perseverance to be able to stay through. So I pray that may we have perseverance at the end of the day because it is needed in these times to stand strong in the Lord and not miss out on our day of glory. I pray that may none of us listening to me here miss your appointed day of glory. May none of us miss it, but may we all be participants of the glorification which has to do with the redemption of our bodies. Amen. Now, let's wrap up tonight with these few verses of Romans chapter 8. Verses 26 to 30. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be added. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, verse 26 starts off with likewise. So what's the meaning of the word likewise? You see, after all that we've read, up to verse 25, verse 26 starts with, likewise, the Spirit also helps. So, it really means that for us to experience the redemption of our bodies at the end of this age, it comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit's help is not missing in this action. That's why we started from Romans chapter 8 right up to verse 12. Uh, no, where did we even read? Verse 17, where we built up our case on the role of the Holy Spirit in the regeneration of a believer. And now Paul goes ahead to talk about our destiny, which is glorification. So the Holy Spirit's help is still present. It will take the Holy Spirit for us to live a life of regeneration. It will take the Holy Spirit for us to experience the life of God, which is the Zoe kind of God. Eternal life. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 11 lets us know that he who raised Christ from the dead, he dwells in us. And he is the one that will quicken our mortal bodies or will give life to our mortal bodies through his Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's help is not ominous in the verses we've read. So, so for us to experience the redemption of our bodies, not by might, not by power, but by his Spirit. And that's why verse 26 also lets us know, likewise, in this like manner. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just help us in the redemption of our bodies. He also helps us in the ministry of prayer. And the Bible lets us know he helps our weaknesses. And what's our weaknesses according to the scripture? For we do not know what we should pray for. It's a weakness. That's why, the whole, that, that's why one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Because speaking in tongues takes care of what we do not know we should pray for. I don't know about you, 
But there are times, randomly, I have heard the Holy Spirit tell me to pray. And there is no topic. Why should I pray? I don't know what I'm praying for, but I just speak in tongues. Once I begin to speak in tongues, it doesn't take long. Sometimes I'm able to know, oh, this is the reason why I had to pray. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just help us to live a life of regeneration, helps us to live the new creation experience. The Holy Spirit also helps us in our prayer life. And the Holy Spirit is an intercessor. He intercedes for us. He stands in the middle between us and God. That's the meaning of the word to intercede. He stands in the middle between us and God to abridge the gap so that we can all be on the same page. That's intercession. We are not at enmity with one another. So that's the Holy Spirit's job. And he does it with groanings which cannot be added. So groanings which cannot be added suggest the gift of speaking in tongues. But it's also not limited to that. It's not, it's not limited to that. But um, a vast majority of groanings is speaking in tongues. And groaning here also means a sigh. So speaking in tongues, sometimes it's the sigh of the Spirit. When we speak in tongues, we give the Holy Spirit permission to intercede on our behalf and also direct the prayer. Because if there's anybody who knows how to pray, it's the Holy Spirit. He knows how to pray more than us. Jonathan's speaking in tongues mean I submit my will, my intellect, my mind to the Holy Spirit and I allow him to lead me in the arena of prayer. But sometimes if you are always going to pray with your understanding, you are in charge. You are in charge of your vocabulary. You are in charge of how you want to word your diction. And sometimes it's not always the best. Like, for example, when it comes to the prayer of faith, you have to pray with your understanding because you are issuing a command. But when it comes to praying in the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit will be able to help in your infirmity, speaking in tongues sometimes is the best way. Or most of the time, speaking in tongues is the best way. Amen. So he does help. But the Holy Spirit is the best intercessor because he's all-knowing. And how do we know he's the best intercessor? Because the Bible says that he searches the hearts and he knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And because of that, he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So whenever you speak in tongues, you activate the Holy Spirit's intercessory ministry. And that's why when it comes to the gift of speaking in tongues, I'm very passionate about it. Because I feel like people who don't speak in tongues, they miss out so much when it comes to prayer. They never ever get to experience the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues is as easy as drinking water. I keep on saying that. Even one time on Zoom, we've done Holy Spirit baptism on, on Zoom. It took us about five minutes. The person just started speaking in tongues. It's very easy. Because the Lord wants everybody to experience this supernatural gift of speaking in tongues so that they will be able to pray effectively and also cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the best ways. Amen. And when the the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, we can be so confident that All things will work together for our good. You see, there's all things working together for our good. It's not a separated statement. It's in conjunction with the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, after you have prayed, you can be assured that all things work together for good according to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. And that's why praying in tongues sometimes is called the perfect prayer. Because when you speak in tongues, you give the Holy Spirit permission to intercede on your behalf. And he will intercede according to the will of God. And if he intercedes according to the will of God, all things, 
will work together for your good. So whether you think it's bad, it's working together for your good. Because we can be assured of the Holy Spirit's intercession. Today, as I'm speaking this message, believe God if you don't speak in tongues that you will speak in tongues so that the Holy Spirit can intercede on your behalf. Amen. Now, the last two verses that I just read talks of our salvation not being a happenstance or an accident, but it draws the ending of our salvation process. The Bible lets us know that he foreknew us. What does the word foreknew means? It meant he had a knowledge beforehand or he had elected those who will be heirs of salvation. So, who are the people elected to be heirs of salvation? Is it just a select few? Because we have a branch of Christianity that focuses so much on election and predestination. They are the Reformed or Calvinist theologians. They, they believe that man's will is not involved. If God doesn't call you, you can't come to Christ. But let's look at a scripture in John chapter 3, verse 16. I want to look at two scriptures on that. John chapter 3, verse 16. Because the Bible says, He foreknew. And for God, the word foreknew means to know beforehand. Or God electing those who will be appointed to be heirs of salvation. So, if that should happen, why do we need to preach the gospel then? But let's look at John 3.16. It will answer that question for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? But that the world through him might be saved. So God wants the whole world to be saved. So God has appointed the world to become heirs of salvation. But look at the process. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And like what I, I, I said in my earlier statements, God respects will. Amen? He respects will. So, when the Bible lets us know that God has elected people to become heirs of salvation, it's not a select few. The world says that we are 7.6 billion. So, let's say that God has elected people to become Christians. God has not elected, let's say, 4 billion. He has elected the whole world. But it is up to you to correspond. Do you understand? With your beliefs. If you believe, the Bible says you will not be condemned. But if you don't believe, you shall be condemned because you didn't believe in the name of the begotten Son. Amen. Let's look at another scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2. Because sometimes I feel like when it comes to the doctrine of election, uh, we need to be very scriptural about that. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but come to repentance. The Lord doesn't want any of us to repent. So when the Bible says that he foreknew or he elected those who are appointed to be heirs of salvation, is to the whole world. But there is a process we will have to believe. Do we all understand? 
Now look at the process that Paul draws out here. He said, for those who foreknew, he predestined that they will be conformed to the image of his son, who is the firstborn among the many brethren. Do you remember the word first fruits? The same Greek word is the word firstborn. Do you understand? So Christ became our offering. He was the firstborn called the son of God so that after him, all of us will be called children of God. That is why he's the firstborn among many brethren. So first fruit offering, like I said, in Exodus chapter 23, was a shadow of Christ becoming the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. I hope one day I might really, I have to do a teaching just on first fruits, just to clear that confusion because I see too many people, you know, confused with that. And like I said, if you feel like the Lord wants you to give a first fruit offering, that's fine. But it is not a rule, a standing rule that you should require every Christian to be obligated to. Let them do that according to conviction and as each each, um, person is led by the Spirit of God. Amen. So predestined. We have been predestined. Predestined means appoint beforehand or to decree from eternity. So do you know why we are Christians? We've been predestined beforehand that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what is more important to Christ. That's what is more important to God. That we will have his character. His character is birthed in us. That's more important to him than giving us a gift. His character is birthed in us. And not only that, we are called. And to those who are called, he justified. And And I've explained justification several times. Justified means just as if you've never been, you've never sinned before. And justify is the act of being declared righteous. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is the ability to stand in front of God, man, and the devil without any sense of guilt. God has justified us. And not only that, glorified. That's the end result of our salvation experience. The end result of our salvation experience is that we will experience the glory of God, the glorification. And what's the glorification? You and I will be partakers of the resurrection where our bodies will undergo redemption. Amen. So tonight, I hope this teaching has served as much hope and of solace to you, especially if you're a believer. Our ending is far more glorious than the human mind can ever compute. Our best life is yet to be lived. This is not our best life now. It is yet to be lived. Amen. We live in a world where there is pandemics, you know, uh, and all that stuff. Of course, our best life is not here. It is in the age to come. So today, I just want you to be hopeful of the hope of your calling which is we will be participators of the resurrection where we will undergo the redemption of our body. Try to remember that. That is the premise on what we have studied tonight in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 30. And next week we will round up Romans chapter 8 and we will learn something about the love of God. Amen. God bless you. I open the floor for questions and contributions. Is it clear? Yep. Okay. I, I understood. All right. Thank you. All right. 
Do we all understand? Do we all understand? I just want to know whether we are on the same page. If not, then we'll close. Any questions, mom and dad? No, we understand, Papa. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. With, with I may have forever my phone. Oh, okay. So I cannot go back with the, with the volume. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. We thank, we thank God for today. Yeah. Let, let, let's just pray that... God will give us perseverance. Let me read that scripture again. Verse 24 to 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We pray that may we persevere in this hope of our calling. We, we have hope. And the Bible lets us know that hope is not seen. If it is seen, it's no longer hope. That's why we are hoping. We are hoping to be part of the redemption of our bodies. That is eternity in view. So to, tonight, let's just pray that may we persevere. May we not fall off. May scripture not be fulfilled concerning us. May we not fall off. May we not depart from the faith. But may we persevere and hold on until the end of this age occurs. Let's begin to pray. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for today's word. We bless your holy name. We have learned in your scriptures that you foreknew us that will be heirs of salvation. And out of your foreknowledge, you predestined that we will conform to the image of your son, who is the first fruit or the firstborn among all of us. And Father, we pray that as we've been predestined to that, may Christ truly be formed in us. May his actions be formed in us. May his speech be formed in us. May his doings be formed in us. May we experience the total influence and the fragrance of Christ's knowledge in our lives. Oh, Father, we thank you that you've called us. And you've not just called us, you justified us. We want to thank you for the gift of righteousness that you have imputed upon our lives. Oh, we thank you that because of that, we have been justified. And we thank you that out of our justification, we have been glorified. We thank you that because we have received the first fruit of the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, it is a guarantee that we will participate in the redemption of our bodies. We want to give you praise tonight. We pray that may we continue to be eternity-minded eternity minded and spiritually driven and having focus. Thank you, Lord for what you've done, and for answer prayers, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for attending. God richly bless you guys. I appreciate all of you. Love you guys. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.